0: Blog Talk Radio. It was Joe Gatins and his only goal that defeated the English in Brazil at Belo Horizonte. In 2010, it was Clint Dempsey's equalizer with the help of Rob Rob Green's howler that gave the U.S. a 1-1 draw in South Africa. And today, in the 2022 World Cup in Qatar, it is an exciting, entertaining, scoreless draw. And once again, the mighty English, the creators of this beautiful game, has not beaten the United States in a World Cup group stage match. Welcome but once again to the Foyerstein Fire American Soccer Show as we will be recapping this match between the United States and England. Joining me, of course, uh, Christian Miles and Robert Hay. And gentlemen, no goals, opportunities a-, a plenty, but I would have to say, Christian, this was the most entertaining draw this World Cup has had since it got started.
1: I'd say from a, a great to be with you guys and along for the ride once again. Thanks for making me part of the show. Um, yeah, I'd have to say, agree with you 100% in your assessment, Daniel, from a United States perspective. Uh, I really was impressed with the way they held their nerves, their composure, their shape. Um, they frustrated England into almost boredom. It was almost stale from the three Lions. Extremely disappointed from their point of view, a team that you know, mustered up just about three, two to three quality shots on target. Um, U.S. spared the blushes at the end with the Kane header, which would have been devastating considering I thought the USA controlled more of the field in the second half than we saw in the first. Uh, But overall, I mean, uh, a a brilliant defensive effort from the United States, and there are positives to build on here. Um, On the negative side, from the U.S. perspective, you would like to see a little bit more, you know, a little more conviction inside that final third. The U.S. struggling really for clear-cut quality opportunities, um, and again, dead ball Certainly an issue But all in all, on the balance, gentlemen I, If you're a United States fan And I know we all are You've got to be pleased with this At a point, we're still alive
0: Absolutely And Robert, you know uh, I mean, let's be honest The opening 15 of this matchup um, You know, England was on the front foot I thought they were really attacking Matt Turner's goal uh, I felt that England was stretching the back line a bit, uh, putting them on their heels, even though they've had some decent defending moments. And Matt Turner came up huge early in that first half to make a save or two. Um, I thought England was on the front foot early on, and I thought they were really threatening the U.S.
2: Yeah, no, I'll start just to echo Christian. It's great to be on, and thank you for having me to be part of the the show and, and with you all again. Uh, I'll also begin by um, giving a hat tip to Jonathan Fang on Twitter, who wrote, um, I think this is what the War of 1812 felt like, and I think that's a pretty good summation of this match. Um, (laughs) You know, I think you're right on, Daniel. You know, I was making mental notes in the first half. I I made a note to myself that it almost felt like two or three parts the first half and definitely the first 15 15 minutes or so. you definitely had England um, becoming out very aggressive and trying to feel out the United States and finding some success, I think especially Wasaka and, um, you know, on the other side of the pitch, trying to, to feel it down the side, you know, have some good balls, making some good runs, and just trying to feel out this U.S. defense. And to the U.S.'s credit, I mean, there was some uh, desperation, not desperation, that's a little harsh, but I think there was a little bit of a, um, uh, some nervy moments, you know, Matt Turner was strong in goal and the, defense, you know, especially with the block there um, on the shot, you know, there were some moments that I think if it would have extended would have looked like, you know, some, um, uh, you know, an organization. But I think really what it did was calm the U.S. down a little bit. And I think after the first 15, 20 minutes, you know, you saw the team kind of tighten up its lines, tighten up its roles. And you saw a team that basically mentally or, you know, in to, unto itself, you know, hey, you know, we've survived the first onslaught here let's keep playing our game and we can, you know, do something with this match. And that's what I think you saw for the rest of the half into the second half was a team that felt a little bit more confident and, you know, feeling their way into the match that eventually ended up as a good result for the U.S.
0: Um, You know, Christian, I have to tell you, in that first half, after the U.S. finally got settled in and were doing a lot of the dirty work, a lot of fantastic runs, um, they, I mean, everything looked cohesive on the attack for this USA side. I mean, Christian Pulisic was basically putting the ball all over the place. He had it on a string, some solid passing. I mean, some great moments to get that opening goal. If it was there, of course it wasn't. But I thought Pulisic was on his best. I mean, after everything he's gone through at Chelsea, and he has to go back to them once uh, this World Cup is over, depending on when it's over for the U.S., um, Polisic to me, I think he answered some critics, not just for himself stateside, but maybe some critics over in England as well, especially in London for the pensioners uh, when he does return.
1: He's up for the fight. I was impressed, and I, I think we saw was Christian Polisic had a little more opportunity to get on the ball today and play. I, I think that's also kind of a byproduct with the inclusion of Wright playing more of a traditional number nine, you know, a little higher up and allowing that space underneath for Pulisic to drop in from the left-hand side, get creative, and, you know, try and ping some passes in. And that kind of worked to the U.S.'s advantage. It allowed them a little more possession as well. Uh, They were dominated in possession, you know, only had about 28% of the ball in the first 15 minutes and, you know, grew into it uh, by halftime. And then I thought they were a better team in terms of possession and throughout large chunks of that second half. Yeah, a good, it was a really fine outing for Christian Pulisic. Unlucky to hit the crossbar. Um, you know, Weston McKinney situation as well and in the 26th. You really should have made it 1-0 or at least test the likes of Pickford but didn't. Um, it was pretty evenly balanced in the first half. but Yeah, I, I was impressed with Christian Pulisic. I think he found – showed us a little bit of a variation in the, from the Christian Pulisic we saw against Wales. and It's good to see and it allows a little bit more – uh, room on that left-hand side at times for for a Jedi Robinson to make those uh, overlapping runs and kind of stretch that England back four. Um, I'd like to you know acknowledge the defending not just by the U.S. but also you know Harry Maguire, a guy who's really come under heavy duress, but I thought he was magnificent, particularly on dead balls tonight for the English. Um, uh, going forward, though, I'm sure there's a lot of questions being asked. A point for each team is a good thing, but I think it's a more point for the positive from the U.S. perspective than it is, say, from the English perspective.
0: Absolutely. And, I mean, Robert, I mean, we don't have to say it, and Kristen doesn't have to say it. How many times, whenever the the United States gets drawn with England in the same group in a World Cup, (laughs) that the English press and the English pundits whether it be through Sky Sports, BBC Sport, or even on CBS Sports' uh, uh, coverage of the UEFA Champions League with Jamie Carragher and Micah Richards, that they're going to say 4-0, 5-0, 10-0, 10-1, whatever you want to say it. And every time these two teams have faced each other, it, for so far in the most recent World Cups of the modern era right now, it's ended in draws. And everyone's mm-hmm. expecting England... And even the fans themselves to see England destroying the u s, and once again, it's never happened.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those one of those funny little quirks of the game. I think the English fans made their opinion of the match known you know at, at the final whistle when you heard booze coming from the stands, which I think was rather unfortunate. Um, Uh, unfortunate reaction for them, but I I can somewhat understand. You know, I think it says a lot, you know, this is, and I think the U.S. played this out in the match today, is you know, the traditional U.S. style of rugged defending, opportunistic goal scoring or or trying to score goals, and, and really being able to hang with some of the bigger names in the sport simply by playing organized, you know, smart soccer, maybe not the prettiest soccer at times, you know, the possession results showed for the first half, but, you know, really playing smart determined soccer. I think that's what has always been called their the right style for the U S and then, so, you know, I think that's, that's always something that's, you know, allowed the U S to get some shock results in uh, world tournaments, including the world cup. And then for England, you know, I think the, the punditry, I think some of it is just, you know, being clownish and, and being ridiculous and, you know, um, uh, just trying to cover for some insecurities by some of these pundits. But, you know, I think that the England team respects the United States. I certainly think that they probably, if you were to, put some true serum into their, their water would say, you know, we, we should win this match. And I think that's a, probably an accurate on the, on paper uh, analysis, but you know, I think that they certainly respected the United States. They were, especially once the game started to settle in, you could see them pulling back a little bit, the midfield playing back a little bit deeper and, and playing a little bit more conservatively to make sure that they could control the U S on the break. And um, I think their game plan was not to be overly aggressive because they knew the team could hurt them if they, if they were. And um you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit later. Um, I don't think you can take today's results and Monday's results in isolation from each other. Um, this England team is very good. I mean, they, they handled an Iran team that really played well today. And so um, I think if if England fans are upset at England, you know, if they're national team take simply because of this result, and I think that's very short-sighted. But um, I think we've proven now, the history's proven now, that there's enough uh, results to show that if the U.S. and England are drawn in the World Cup, it's going to be a it's going to be quite the match and certainly one to watch.
0: It really will be, and you know that that last stage game is going to be very interesting when it comes up on Tuesday. And we'll get to that later on in the show, but I want to talk about. Um, I, I just think ball movement, Christian, from this yeah. USA team, really looks strong. Um, you know, Maybe a couple of hairy moments here and there. Not many, to be honest, outside of the opening 15. But in reality, I thought the attack was strong. I thought they brought the ball up well, whether it be on the flanks or down the middle of the park. I mean, we're seeing some fantastic chemistry bringing up the ball and really befuddling England all over the pitch of this match to show that, you know what, it's not just England that can do these magical moments, but the U.S. can do that as well.
1: Yeah, and I I would like to echo your point by saying, you know, this isn't a situation where uh, the U.S. is flattered by English inefficiency. I thought the U.S. battled their way through this. I thought they won the midfield battle. I thought, uh, you know, Musa McKinney and Adams, the MMA trio in there, overwhelmed the likes of Jude Bellingham, who was completely anonymous, and so was Bukayo Saka, um, and I thought Declan Rice really could get a foothold as well, so you have really got to take your hat off to them. I thought McKinney was, you know, arguably the man of the match back there, you know, allowing a, a lot of support for that defense, and, and there wasn't much penetration f- from England fence forward, and, um, you know, a t- great reaction after it was a substandard second half uh, against the Welsh uh, to come out like that, and, and really, you know, pull themselves up by their big boy pants uh, against a highly touted opponent, and they took it right to him and they, they just seemed to grow and grow in stature and grow into the game as, as it progressed, where you can't say the same for the English, who, you know, as we mentioned, long times were, were outplayed despite a fine start and, and some decent chances for them. But, um, yeah, the U.S. you know, had that spell of about in 10 to 15 minutes where they utterly pinned England in around the 55th to 65th minute in a series of corner kicks and, and such, and, you know, it's a testament to the midfield control and, and Tyler Adams marshalling things back there in support of both Musa and McKinney and, and providing that protection for the U.S. back force. So a job well done to the midfield battle. Um, and a tip of the hat to Greg Bruhalter and his boys. I thought they won that battle today.
0: And, you know, also, Robert, just to talk about the defense for the U.S. as well, I mean, we can't forget the defense as well. I mean, look at what Tim Rehm has done Uh, to be able to get back on this men's national team roster. I'll admit, I thought after the CONCACAF Nations League final against Mexico, where he got burned very badly, that allowed Mexico to take that 2-1 lead. I thought his national team career was over. I thought that was it. Nothing. I want Reem off the team, but I didn't think I didn't think his time for the national team was going to be for much longer, but to see him come back and not only reinvent himself at Fulham this year, not only does he have the captain's armband at Fulham uh, for the club, but the way he has handled himself in these first two matches in the group stage against both Wales and now England. uh, What more can you ask from, uh, from Tim Ream to be not only a veteran presence on this young roster, but to play so well on the back line especially in the central in the center point of the park.
2: Yeah, I mean I think that um you know I was glad to see when he was uh, added to this roster. I thought you know that was an inspired choice by Greg Berhalter. I know, you know uh, there's a lot younger names, a lot um names that are get US fans more excited, but I mean honestly what you have here is a player who has played in the top flight of well, this top flight in the second division of England, you know, Fulham is a, a, you know, a club that uh, needs to work for its success, and he certainly earned his playing time at that club and uh, earned, shows his leadership stripes at a place where, you know, he's played for some good managers and played with some really good players, and he's the type of professional player that really can add value to the United States in a game like this. And I think looking at, you know, looking at Wales, looking at England, uh, playing against a lot of the same type of players that he plays week in, week, week out, um, I'll give a, a lot of credit to Greg Berhalter for saying, you know what, um, we're going to play him. He's going to start because these are the type of players that he has, he, and we are going to get a lot of, you know, um, benefit from that. And I think looking at today's match, I mean, really professional game by him. Really smart defending. Um, I'm sure others who can, who may have a better memory, you know, after this game can point out errors. But you know, sitting here now um, with the final whistle having blown about a half hour ago. Uh, it's hard to pull out some really glaring errors in my mind. There might have been, you know, there was maybe some small ones, but certainly nothing glaring that made me wince. And um, you know, I think that's the kind of performance he's given for two matches now. He's been solid. Um, he's you know not going to outrun a lot of you know certain you know certain players, and he's not going to be um, you know the best player on the pitch. But man, he put in a defensive performance today. Um, and I think really helps give some stability to, uh, you know, a younger partner who does not have that experience at the same level as, uh, Walker Zimmerman. And then, you know, um, certainly, um, uh, gives Matt, um, Matt Turner some, um, safety up ahead of him. So yeah, hats off to him for good, two good performances, especially today and the the role he's played.
0: And Christian, I want to go to Tyler Adams. I mean, oh my I mean, look, I, I'm not surprised, to be honest with you, because yeah. he was brought up through the New York Red Bulls Academy system, um, and I've seen him play not only for Red Bulls too, when they were in USL, but for the senior side in MLS. And, and, and I knew the type of player he is. I, I've, I've known the type of player that you know, he was going to become, and now. Look what he has done in the midfield. I mean, even playing a big role where Anthony Robinson was well past the back line, trying to keep that, in the second half, trying to keep that ball on the England side of the pitch and was caught out of position when England tried to go on a counter against three members of the back line. And here comes Tyler Adams on a run back on a defensive run back hustling his rear end to catch up to an English attacker and dispossesses the ball puts it out out of the way for a throw in for England but what a run back by Tyler Adams to be there for the back
1: line super performance from Adams I mentioned it earlier when you we're talking and discussing Tim Ream and Zimmerman, the partnership. I think you know it's almost a, a trio back there when you have Adams sitting in front of them and, and giving them that extra confidence and time for Ream to play the distributor to the perfect complement to Zimmerman's destroyer. And then you have Adams, the glue man, who's really the glue of that midfield to the back line and able to start and gives the, the U.S. great foundation, in putting out fires as you mentioned winning challenges, covering for the attacking fullbacks. Uh, yeah, a standout performance. And you, you, know, you, you can give man-of-the-match performances to about two or you know three players. You, you think Turner, you think you know, Adams, certainly, McKinney was brilliant. Um, and it, 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 it's good to see them all on song at the same time. But, yeah, it, with, with that stability in front of you, and I think what we're seeing with Adams is he, as a number six, can do the work of two almost as a single pivot with a little bit of support, perhaps from McKinney on a track back or even Moussa. But Yeah, the amount of ground that he covers and his ability to distribute and, and just provide that stability in front of that back four is immense. And, it, you know, it's, it's the foundation from which, you know, allow the U.S. to be su- as successful as they did and really stifle and outplay this English midfield. So, well done to Tyler Adams. Super game from a, a, a bright and emerging player.
0: Yep, it really, really is, and like I said, you know, I, I've known Tyler's been, you know, he he's had this in him. He's able to perform in, in this type of level, but I gotta say, this was even a lot better. And I think Robert, um, you know, his time at Leeds, Leeds right now has his time at Leeds right now, especially with Jesse Marsh there, has really elevated his 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 game. I mean, he did decently at Leipzig when he got those opportunities but truthful to be told truth be told i should say adams has been a lot better now with leads and i think he's gotten more um i should say uh his technical ability has really been stronger uh as that defensive mid in the middle of the park to help out not just to bring up the ball but to defend it as well
2: mm-hmm. yeah well, i'll start by saying i agree with everything christian said i i think that's I just uh, agree with those comments. It's great. And, you know, I'm glad that we're able to, you're able to get your your Red Bulls uh, plug in here, Daniel. I know you (laughs) love doing that, being able to work it into the show. So um, (laughs) uh, congratulations on that one. Um, But in all seriousness, I think one thing is, (laughs) one thing about Tyler Adams is I think he shows really what a lot of people have hoped um, the U.S. national team uh, talent pool can be, which is, you know, you have a player that starts out in the youth system in the United States, comes up, Playing professional soccer in the United States, moves overseas, um, you know, gets some playing experience at a in a good league. Um, I mean, uh, you know, Leipzig is no a good team, good league, and then moves on to the Premier League and you know plays an important role in a in a you know high profile club. Um, and I think that's kind of what people have been hoping for a number of U.S. players. And so to see him kind of follow that path, I think should be very heartwarming for. U.S. soccer fans to show that, you know, hey, this this is the type of pathway that, um, you know, we can do with our players, you know, grow them in this country and then um, send them out to Europe and see them succeed. And, you know, I think the other thing we have to mention about um, players like Tyler Adams is it's easy to forget how young they are and still fairly relatively mm-hmm. early in their career for a lot of these players. And, um, you know, it, it's natural. I think sometimes you forget with younger players. It's natural to see, you know, progression, um, I know that's an obvious statement, but I think sometimes we get lost in the, the phenoms and the players who are, you know, amazing at 1920. 20 um, But a lot of these players are still developing and growing, and I think it's, it's uh, great to see them continue to develop and grow as they uh, get a little bit older in their career. And so to see a player like him and, you know, a number of his other teammates kind of grow into their roles in, for club and country is a – I think that's the sign of progress that we tend to forget sometimes um, for the United States national team. So it's good to see him, you know – Do everything that we've talked about today in this match um, and for the World Cup so far because it shows that, um, you know, we're we're able to make progress with developing these young players and letting them grow for uh, clubs overseas and and then bringing them back here for a period of time and integrating them into the U.S. system. So positive, positive uh, long-term thing that we can take away from this, this match and the one on Monday as well.
0: Now, I'm going to ask you this uh, from both of you gentlemen, because and once again, I will be using some sort of a hockey analogy, but that's okay, not a big deal. (laughs) Um, Being a New York Rangers fan that I am, when the New York Rangers won the Stanley Cup in 1994, Mark Messier was the captain, and Brian Leach, who was a very talented American uh, offensive defenseman, and won the Conn Smythe Trophy... uh, The year that Mark Messier left the New York Rangers, everyone felt that the next captain of the Rangers at that time should have been Brian Leach, and he was given the captaincy. But he didn't do well with the captaincy until Mark Messier returned to the New York Rangers and Brian Leach returned the captaincy to Mark Messier. Does everyone believe that since Tyler Adams was given the captain's armband, that Christian Pulisic has done so much better in these two group stage games in this World Cup, that maybe Tyler Adams is the brand new captain America for this U.S. men's national team? First, Christian's uh, opinion, and then we go to Robert.
1: I completely agree. He is the captain in personality, his leadership, and his play on the pitch, without question. As far as his effect on the performances of Pulisic, I'm not sure how much that could have an effect on Christian. I I don't believe Pulisic is a natural captain. Um, But I think more so with, uh, you know, a tactical setup allows Pulisic to really, you know, profit today from what we saw, you know, against the Welsh on on Monday. Um, I thought, and another point here I wanted to make as well, along with what you're saying with with Tyler and his Pulisic and and being the captain and, and such is, I think it was a, a leap forward in terms of team maturation um, because I was expecting, you know, I wouldn't have been surprised to see the U.S. panic because, you know, as Robert mentioned, this is, this is the third youngest team at this World Cup, and we didn't see that today. And a lot of that is down to the captain's performance of, of, of Tyler Adams who, you know, got the foot on the ball, did the maturity, players like Kim Ream balancing out with the experience, the older head at 35 years old. Um, I really was impressed with the u s able to keep their shape you know at times I thought it was a little bit dodgy <laughs> borrow an expression from our our british friends uh, in the first half from a defensive standpoint. It was a little bit too deep in their shape, but nothing too serious to worry about all in all just a, a, a team maturation, a leap forward. I was very impressed with that today, and you know it goes down to that captain i mean he sets the tone that that position you know in front of that back forward is is so very important to You know, setting the tone and establishing your confidence and 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 providing that foundation—that's what Tyler Adams gives us.
2: I'll jump in here. Yep, I'll jump in here. Two two thoughts. Number one, uh, I recently did a review slash deep dive into Christian Pulisic's uh, autobiography that he, um, I guess, co-wrote that was released. Um, right before the World Cup, and uh, the one that everybody paid attention to because he had some thoughts on Thomas Tuchel. But um, when you read the whole book and it's, you know, in its entirety, there's you get the impression that this is a player that um, certainly has leadership abilities, but is not the kind of. I mean, this is a this is a guy who wrote or was you know quoted in the book saying he he did not like the title Captain America. I mean, that wasn't his personality, and that's not who he thinks of himself as. Um, and I think that really, um, based on what he said in those interviews that created that book, I mean, he's a very good player, very smart player, certainly can fire up and, and lead people. But it wasn't a surprise to me that he was not named captain of the U.S. team. It, it just, you know, it, when you read his own words, he's a smart player, a team player, but not someone that you can imagine going out and um, captaining a World Cup side. Contributing, but not necessarily captaining. The second thing is... Um, you know, Greg Berhalter did say, this is the player's choice. Tyler Adams was the player's choice. And, um, you know, credit to Greg for coach Burhalter for not imposing his ideas on these players. You know, I think it's easy sometimes as the manager to sit there and say, I'm the, I'm the coach. I'm going to pick my captain. And, you know, because I am the manager, um, but instead had a, a little bit of humility to sit there and say, you know, let's you all pick amongst yourselves, who's going to be your captain and that's who we're going to go with. And, you know, the fact that it was Tyler Adams that they chose, um, certainly gives him some um, – um, gives this idea of him being the captain's credence, um, that these are who the players and the, and the technical staff are going with. So I think that is why I'm not terribly surprised that they're doing well under with you know Tyler Adams is the leader here. Um, I think in terms of you know, the results on the match, um, I'd probably say more of the tactics and the way that their opponents are playing is, is why Pulisic is playing so well. But, again, going back to my first point, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a little 5% of his performance boost was due to the fact that he doesn't have the pressure of being quote-unquote Captain America and go out and play his game.
0: Mm -hmm. No, I absolutely agree with you both. And, uh, you know, I I just think that it's a mentality whenever you are selected as captain of the national team to wear the armband uh, while trying to play your game. It's a heavy heart for that particular player to represent, not just representing the country that you play for, that you were born in, but to lead your players, your fellow teammates on the pitch to try and get those three points. I mean, this is the, the, the biggest stage that this game offers you when you are playing in the World Cup, without a doubt. And I really think that right now... Polisic is playing with more hunger and he's playing without the extra burden that would be on his back. If he would be wearing that captain's armband around his right arm. So as of, or his left arm, I should say. So right now, all I can say is, is that I think he's performing uh, a lot better than probably he would have been if he was wearing the captain's armband. So I think Tyler Adams is an excellent choice uh, to uh, captain this national team. And uh, we'll see what happens uh, later on in the week when they take on the Iranians. But once again, it's um, it, it's really, really great to see them playing. And how about Matt Turner, Christian? I mean, he got most of the work instead of Pickford. But I'll tell you, Matt Turner was unbelievable.
1: Yeah, he wasn't too busy. And you know that's a testament to the protection that he got. But to echo your point, magnificent um and also we you know we don't want to shower greg berhalter with praise and and seem like we're kissing up but here's a man who made the the decision a bold decision at the time to leave stefan out go with a player that wasn't playing still adapting to a new league and it's he's paid him back in spades i thought turner showed an excellent command of the area took charge when he needed to uh great off the aerial balls, uh, just all around a great keeper's performance from him. And even looked pretty good in distribution, which isn't is exactly his strong point. But yeah, he, and it, it's it's nice to see a player reward a manager like Greg Burhalter with these types of performances being picked. You could say the same thing about Tim Ream as well. So yeah, Matt Turner, uh, the real deal. Uh, he he is a goalkeeper. He's got a goalkeeper's mentality. Um, he has the goalkeeper body, and now he's putting it all together, and, and it looks so confident today. To have that confidence, it, any manager, any head coach will tell you, it, it comes from the back. Your team's confidence is built from the back going forward. You have to have that as your, and I hate to say this word again, but you know, your, your, your foundation um, at the back to build that confidence going forward. And if you defend, you give yourself a chance, and when you've got a keeper like Matt Turner, like the form that he's on right now, They have a chance, and we will have to take that chance coming up on Wednesday against Iran. And, you know,
0: Robert, I mean, look, I'm not against Zach Steffen at all. I'm never against any player who's going to play for the national team, period. I want them to succeed, whether it's in MLS or abroad. But let's be honest with ourselves here. I personally don't think Zach Steffen would have made any of the saves – that Turner made in this match because not only of his fitness, but because of his mentality that he's been playing with, not just with Man City, but also with Middlesbrough. Let's be honest, his, his club seasons has not been great. I mean, he's only been used by Man City for either League Cup or FA Cup. And when he finally was able to be a starting goalkeeper with Middlesbrough, he's been terrible. Absolutely terrible. Mm -hmm. And thank goodness that Arsenal, even though they're doing great this year in the Premier League, and yes, Matt Turner will probably still get FA Cup games and League Cup games, but he's also playing in Europa League. And that's, Mm -hmm. to me, that's definitely more positive minutes for Matt Turner than what Zach Steffen could have ever had with Manchester City.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll start with admitting my bias. as Anybody who knows me knows that I'm an Arsenal fan. So, um uh, there's certain there's certain bias there in Matt Turner in goal. I I I had no doubt about that. So, I appreciate that. Um <laughs> you know, one one thing I will say about about Arsenal though is, you know, I think there's an opportunity when you come in as Matt Turner. Um yeah, you could and I think this was the argument against him being selected was, you know, not a lot of minutes as as you mentioned Daniel going through, you know, This is an Arsenal team competing for a title, Um, so he's not going to get a lot of Premier League minutes. He's playing in the Europa League, so not as often as, as, you know, maybe some other keepers that could have been starting ahead of him. But, you know, I will say this for Arsenal. It is a very competitive club, and um, they've shown in the past, you know, 12 to 18 months that if you're a keeper and you do not perform, you will be shown the door. Um, so, you know, Matt Turner comes into a situation where, yes, he is not the number one choice, but there is, and he has to know in the back of his mind that there may be an opportunity for him one day um, and, you know, that he may have to take advantage of that. So there is a competition there that has to keep him on his on his toes. And, you know, I, I think, again, um, to echo what Christian said, you know, let's let's give Greg Berth- Berhalter a lot of credit for this election, Um you know, it's, it's worked out really well, I think, for the U.S. national team up to now. Um, you know, Turner, again, was great in today's game, made some good saves. That one um, past the Pulisic in the second half was just incredible. Um, you know, just great awareness, good awareness of where the ingham players are, wherever he had the ball, where, the, you know, his teammates were. Um, so I think that he was, really did what he needed to do in this kind of situation and just keep his head, play smart, don't, you know, be aggressive when he, when he could be, but not – You know, you didn't see any of his passes get turned over or, you know, um, thrown to or kicked to, you know, an England player in midfield that, you know, began uh, another English scoring chance or anything like that. I mean, he really was smart about what he did and when. And keeping that level-headedness, I think, was a critical part of, you know, the U.S. being able to get the draw in this match. Um, You know, I think he is, um, you know, he's in a great setup for club and country right now. Um, so I expect him to continue to do well. But, um, yeah, I mean, sometimes it's easy. You know, you see this with managers all the time. It's really easy to default to the obvious pick. You know, Berhalter in the U.S. setup could have said, you know, Zach Steffen's been our guy. We're going to keep going with him. And then if it goes wrong, they just sit there and say, well, he's proven himself for, you know, the U.S. up to this point. What, you know, who who could have guessed that he would go wrong in the World Cup? You know, that tends to be an opt-out for a lot of managers goes wrong. And in this case, they went with somebody that, theoretically, I mean, well, even with his resume, he's more untested and said, let's gamble with this because we this is the kind of player we've seen in training and in our you know friendlies and these other matches that has a mentality um, to make up for some of his deficiencies. And so far, it's proven to have been a great, great choice and a great success. So hats off to them and hats off to the player for really taking advantage of this opportunity.
0: Mm-hmm. No, very, very true. Christian, you know, what well, I'm more surprised about Uh, was that Gareth Southgate and Greg Burhalter made their substitutions halfway past the hour mark uh, in this matchup. Um, I was wondering when there was going to be substitutions made. I thought maybe Southgate was going to make it right away at the start of the second half. But he uh, puts in both Jack Grealish and uh, Jordan Henderson on for both uh, Jude Bellingham and Raheem Sterling in the 68th minute. And um, I think Burhalter didn't make a sub until after 75 minutes with Brandon Aronson going in for Weston McKinney. Was this match really that good that both men could have kept substitutes away and probably put them in much later? Or do you think this was the right time for both men to make those substitutions?
1: Well, I, I think from a U.S. perspective, I remember shouting to the television... <laughs> As I'm prone to do many times, and, uh, but I remember saying, to me don't sub and, because the U.S. was having such a good spell, and especially you know as we approached the midpoint of of the second half, and, and they were playing well, and then England started to get a foothold about 10 minutes later, around the you know the 65th to the 70th, and that's when I thought U.S. is looking a little bit tired, fatigue was starting to set in for McKinney, he wasn't as you know quick to the ball as he was in in the first hour or so. so I, I have no problem with the substitutes at the point, the substitution pattern today whatsoever, as I did on, on Monday. I thought they pushed the right buttons from an English sign and an English viewpoint. I would be a little frustrated with the substitution patterns because, you know, for 20 minutes at the outset of the second half, it was stale. It was drab. It was dull from from the English and I thought they really needed an injection of, of creative inspiration they go with Grealish it, it was the player that can provide that he's, he's lively tends to over dribble at times and I uh, was surprised with uh, the liveliness that Henderson showed coming on in, in this in the 69th minute replacing Jude Bellingham um, not exactly what you would expect from a player of his qualities, but he livened things up, you know, for a little, for a little while, but didn't alleviate the, the overriding symptom that this this English team was devoid of ideas, of. resorting to Harry Kane, dropping into that deeper role as he's been prone to do to, to get a foot on the ball to find the game and become a facilitator. Of. But, yeah, Rashford came on for Saka, who was anonymous, as I mentioned, and, and, and Shaq Moore coming on for Sergio Desk, which was a timely substitution, especially with Desk writing a yellow card from the Welsh game and keeps him available for first team selection. I have I one head scratcher. I'd love to hear what you guys think of this. I was a little surprised to see more come on in in preference to DeAndre Yedlin, who's the only player with World Cup experience on this roster and who was brought off the bench uh, against the Welsh.
0: Go ahead, Robert.
2: Yeah. So um, I yeah I'll, I'll follow up on that yeah I was I was kind of interested to see that I wonder if there's something in training with Yedlin or something they saw in that Wales match that we might not have seen that would have preference uh, Jack Moore I'd be curious to see Craig Berhalter's comments over the next few days to see what we can glean from that but that was a surprise I think in terms of the selection there um, one thing I, I would point out. Um, I believe Aronson had been kept waiting for the substitution there. You know, he wasn't able to come in for, I think on the broadcast, they said about 10 minutes. I don't know. I think that was a slight mm-hmm. exaggeration, but he was but kept waiting for a while. So Greg Berhalter was like ready to make the substitution once Grealish and Henderson came on or, or fairly soon after. And I think that was a smart move by him because um, like Christian said, Weston McKinney was looking tired and, um, you know, knowing uh, how he's been you know, banged up over the past few months, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think again I'll agree with Christian on this one cuz um I he thinks he's spot on, you know, uh, it is kind of surprising that Gareth Southgate didn't bring on some a sub or two in at halftime or soon after. Um you know, maybe that's where you bring on Jordan Henderson. I thought that was in general a good idea. Realish of course is a no-brainer, um but maybe bring them on a little bit earlier to see if you can change the momentum early in the second half. Um you know, we <laughs> We saw what happened when Wales changed their tactics in their game plan in the second half, early in the second half, and the U.S. never really recovered. I mean, it, 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 I'm surprised that that wasn't on Gareth Southgate's mind there. Um, but I do think, you know, I, I do want to say, you know, after the Wales game, you know, I was critical of Greg Berhalter's substitutions or lack thereof process. Um, I thought he did better in this match. I mean, he identified the players who were tired. You know, we did highlight the one Shaq Moore one, which was interesting. But, you know, he did bring on fresh legs. Gio Reyna gets an appearance um, finally. I know we were all excited about that, you know, um, to see him get out on the World Cup pitch. But I think in general his substitutions were smarter and they came on at a pretty good time uh, as opposed to in the past where he's let the game get away from him and the substitutions may have come on a little bit late. It seems like he did it. The timing was good and the players that he brought on for the most part were – were good choices at the right times of the game. So uh, I think credit to him for that. Um, for making for that being very different from what happened in the Wales match earlier this week.
0: Actually, uh, Christian, if you want my opinion about that subbing in for Shaq Moore instead of DeAndre Yedlin, I think Shaq Moore is the future uh, as a right wing back for the U.S. If death mm. is not available, I, I really think. I, I mean, ever since. Uh, the, the past Gold Cup tournament, I saw him play and a couple of friendlies as well. I've I've liked Shaq Moore's game as a fullback on the right side. If you want to move him to the left, that's fine too. I don't care. I think he is going to be um, for the national team. The future there, if Des does not show up, or if he gets hurt, or if he just doesn't get selected, because I like what I saw from uh, Shaq Moore from his earlier moments with the U.S. national team, so um, I think that was an excellent selection by Greg Berhalter in this game. So uh, that's yeah. all I
1: can tell you guys about that. Yeah. And Dana, I would like yeah, to hit definitely the point too and, and I make a point as well, and, and you say the word selection, it, you, you know, Haji Wright, the only change from, from the Welsh. And I, I think this, while Wright didn't have much of an influence, he had the, you know, the half chance on the header in, in the first half, and it's, I'd like to see a little bit more, get him a little bit more service and support, but I thought the way that he was able to occupy the likes of Stones and McGuire allowed Christian Pulisic to play underneath. And I think that, you know, we, we've got to tip our hat again to the manager for that. But bringing in Wright, a player that, you know, has just a, a handful of caps who, you know, hasn't been heavily involved in the qualification process to entrust him with that number nine role. Um, and while he wasn't, you know, the major influence that you want and, and you get, he didn't get the chances that you'd want to see, you know, a center forward, I thought he, he had an influence on, to the benefit of others, almost an indirect influence, allowing the U.S. to, to facilitate that midfield, to win that midfield battle, to give them the space and, and to keep those, you know, central defenders from you know, stepping out as, as John Stones likes to do. It keeps him at bay. It pins him back a little bit, gives the U.S. more time and space to operate and, and get a foot on the ball and, and, and maintain their composure and keep that maturity and that level head to see out this result.
0: I agree with you there, actually. I I think Haji Wright's surprising inclusion into this World Cup roster has really paid off dividends for Greg Berhalter as the starter in this one. I think that's what you kind of needed. Not saying you didn't need anyone um, maybe smaller in in size, I would say, but someone who has good length to be a target striker and at the same time he's able to give – Pulisic that opportunity to move around and be a little more freer with the ball so that Wright can be put him, he can put himself into a position and put the ball in the back of the net. And I think that's the one thing that's been kind of missing a little bit with this national team, even though I think PFOC can do that as well. But PFOC is more of a, you know, a, what's, what's the word I'm actually looking for. He can charge with the ball and be dangerous, not only without the ball, but with the ball as well. And sometimes you need a striker like that. But once again, I agree. I think Haji Wright uh, just snuck in there and really, really put on a solid performance in this one. And uh, we cannot ignore what Burr Halter has done there with the forward uh, department, uh, especially for this World Cup right now. Um, Robert, if I can ask you this, um, you know, tonight's, Referee, or if you want to, you know, Eastern time, you know, U.S. time, this afternoon's referee, Jesus Valenzuela, uh Saez was the referee. I think without handing out some cards, which I think was a little questionable, meaning I thought England's, some of England's challenges were card-worthy, And he really didn't show any cards to either the U.S. or to England. He let them play it out. Nine times out of ten, I think that's great. But I think we can really make an argument that maybe England, if not some players booked, maybe one player sent off. Mm. So if I
2: remember hearing correctly, I believe this was his first World Cup as a referee. Uh Did I hear that correctly in the broadcast? Okay. So so first of all – Great. So first of all, I mean, hats off to him for, um, having, uh, I thought overall a good quality game, uh, quality match and, you know, really, um, letting the game play out in a fair way, um, you know, and making sure that, um, uh, we were all able to enjoy that match without, you know, getting in the way, which referees can obviously do sometimes. Um, do I think some of the challenges were certainly yellow card worthy? Yes. I think you could certainly make an argument. I, I think maybe one or two were fairly obvious yellows, but I wasn't outraged that they weren't given um, because I think you know you also have a tough line here in, in a World Cup. I mean, and this is true of any World Cup. If you start, there's you know, two sides. Number one, you start giving a yellow card for one foul. You know, there's this inevitable pressure to even it out and give it for a similar foul and another. Uh, situation. And even if it's not the exact same foul, you know, you have this this pressure. Once you start giving yellows, you have to keep giving yellows. And I think, you know, he resisted that urge and may have overcorrected a little bit to give none <laughs> or, you know, almost nothing and just call fouls and just let it go at that. Um, but the other side of this is, of course, the big talking point is, you know, two yellows equal miss game. And I think he wanted to, maybe I'm wrong, but it looked like he wanted to be very careful about giving out yellows so as no one would miss the next match, which is obviously going to be critical for both of these sides. So um, I think that's, you know, you can argue whether that should play into a referee's mindset. Um, but I think overall the match was well refereed. I think he did a good job of keeping things fair. Um, the game did not get, get out of hand in terms of aggression. Um, he's probably very glad he didn't have the 5 o'clock a.m., time game uh, which would have been a little bit harder to manage than this one um, but you know overall I, I had no qualms about it I won't remember him past today and I think that's really what you want a referee you know as a referee you want to happen is you don't want anybody to remember what you did in that match because it means that you did a good job of keeping everything under control and letting the players decide it on the pitch.
0: I absolutely agree with you right there. And, uh, Christian, I think the only thing we can complain about with this U.S. performance is just no one able to put the ball in the back of the net, including Mm. those corners, the the multitude of corners taken by the United States in that second half. Um, I mean, look, great job by Harry Maguire in the center of the area to deflect some of those balls away, but honestly – Pulisic really delivered from solid corners into an area yeah. where the, there should have been at least, you know, Zimmerman had an opportunity to put one in the back of the net. Uh, McKenney had an opportunity to put one in the back of the net. A couple of others that put the ball in the back of the net. Except if, if McGuire's not there, uh, the U.S. would have punished England, and I think it would have been at least one or two goals to nil in favor of the United States to at least tell the world the mighty English are falling in front of us once again, and it's just a situation where that's a little frustrating, but we still can't take away this performance was excellent, but once again, you'd love to see a goal or two being scored in this one.
1: Yeah, and we echoed that point against the Welsh. The U.S. has through two games and mustered just two shots on target. They haven't worked the goalkeepers um, the, there is some concern. The, I mean, seven corner kicks today and not once to the U S look that dangerous on the attacking end and, and showed some vulnerabilities, gave away some free headers um, to the English on the defensive end on those corner kicks and dead balls, which I, I maintain is, is, an, a, is, is a, a deficiency, a vulnerability that the U S has that hasn't been punished yet, but it can be, and it will be as we progress into this tournament, if we do make it out of the group stages. And, um, interestingly enough when you're talking about bookings the i think england is perhaps the only side that yet has not been yellow carded throughout two games uh which is kind of an interesting byproduct I, I i agree with the sentiments of robert i thought the referee you know you want to make yourself anonymous and then you did well today overall i thought that the english did get away and with one specific, specifically uh harry kane showing those studs uh in the, in the second half and then john stones in the first half um uh, those are some of the incidents that were unpunished for the English. Um, another situation with the U.S. where I think that, you know, we, we really should touch on here is we're not going to – if we're going to really, you know, get picky about the performance, yes, they, for all the positive things they did today, there's still a problem with the quality of delivery and service. Uh, the crossing is just not good enough from the fullbacks and, the, and uh, from wide areas, um, and especially with the player it's, it's, as a Haji Wright who's so gifted in the air. Um, it, at your disposal, but, that it's got to be better. Uh, and that's kind of the reason why the U.S. has been toothless and, and the dearth of chances um, going forward. Uh, the, the delivery's got to be better. I think Timo, where, you know, hit a couple of balls astray. The desk never really looked a, a good threat. He can put in a good ball, um, did have some good surging runs um, and just didn't really see those, those crosses whipped in for a player that you want to play to his strengths like a Haji Wright. It wasn't available. Now, not to say that, you know, it wouldn't play into the English hands because they, they want to keep that game up in the air with, with the likes of Stones and especially with McGuire back there. But, you know, you still need to provide that service into the area to, to allow your your players such as Wright to, to profit from it.
0: Absolutely. All right, gentlemen, let's take a look at the group B table. England right now leading the group with four points, obviously, with the win over Iran and the draw with the U.S. Iran with their, um, you may want to call it surprising, but you want to call it lucky, it's up to you. A 2-0 victory this early morning against the Welsh and uh, Wales right now in dead last with a point by scoring one and giving up three. And the United States right now with two points in third in this group And now the big question comes into play for uh, this coming Tuesday, I should say, as the United States will take on Iran, and England will take on their fellow UK countrymen, Wales, or their, their friends in the United Kingdom and Wales. And basically for the United States, the really simple thing is this. Win and you're in. That's all you can do. You're hoping for a better result or a, a much more positive result against the English or against Wales to go at least four points in two games, but it's really two points in two games. So, gentlemen, let's go ahead and talk about this, uh, this matchup on Tuesday. Um, Robert, what do we have to look for with the United States outside of winning, but how are we going to beat Iran to make sure we get the full three points in this one?
2: Right. So uh, just to, to point out one thing about this morning's, or, yeah, I guess this morning's match, whenever you watched it, um, how to mm. not draw a red card. The United States sho- showed now how not to draw a red card on Monday in an obvious <laughs> denial of a gold scoring situation, and Wales did the exact opposite. showed how you do draw a red card in a denial of a gold scoring situation this morning, which really hurt them uh, late on against Duran. Um, you know, I think I want to draw on Christian's point here about getting balls into the box and really providing taking advantage of opportunities to score here. Um I think the US may have an advantage with the Iranian um keeper situation. I mean again we had the number one keeper out this morning for Iran um likely due to the nasty head injury he suffered on Monday. You know, we'll see who's in net on um for the third game of this group match, but I think that's an opportunity here, you know, if the United States can get service into the box and create some good goal scoring opportunities, take advantage of them. They may have an advantage there um, to get some, some goals, which they are desperately going to need in this match. I mean, I I think that um, what we saw from Iran today was really what I think some of us expected from them, maybe not the two, nothing result type of thing, but this is a team that is certainly able to compete in this group that what we saw in today's match is more what we expected than what we saw on Monday and so I don't think we can take this team lightly. I mean, again, win and in is the problem. You know, you, there's, there's a slighter, slimmer margin for error here um, in that you have to get the full three points. But, um, you know, I, I expect to see a really competitive match. Emotion's going to be high. I mean, the U.S. does not have a good World Cup record against Iran. So um, mm-hmm. I'm very looking, much looking forward to this. I think this could be one of the, the matches of this, uh, at least the group stages of the World Cup. This is a really exciting one, and it should be even for neutrals
0: uh Christian Carlos Kiros once again is managing Iran in this World Cup and uh, I think look we all know the type of manager he is and what he'll be able to do whether it's club level or national team level um I think Greg Burhalter has a very tough task in front of him um I mean look let's be honest with ourselves here as as good of a job as Burhalter has done in this English match I mean he could still make the same mistakes against Wales like he could do against Iran with a better level of a manager on the opposite side of the technical area? I mean, what do we have to be careful with uh, for Burhalter if he's going to be matching wits with Carlos Kiros?
1: Um, I think we'll, we look at Kiros, uh, you know, some call him the anti-footballer in terms of management. Certainly he's not a risk taker. It's not an attacking side. He did make a couple of tweaks today. I didn't watch the the Iran-Wales well, uh, game, but from what I've seen of them in the past and, and knowing Kiros and the way he approaches it and what we saw uh, in their first game against England, it's, you know, it's going to be a defend-first philosophy and, and try and catch one on transition. Uh, with Karimi up top, and I, I think that with Robert's point where, yes, the U.S. with better delivery – will profit from that will benefit from that much more against an iran than say against an english where you're playing into the english hands with those those high services balls into the area um, so yes i think it's going to be interesting we don't want you know the same thing to happen that what we saw back in you know in 1998 where you know the us sitting on it and a chance to get in there and ultimately you know stumbling against the iranians and finishing bottom of their group so yeah it's a good point about world cup history I don't think we can take too much of it right now because it was such a long time ago, but, um, you know, off the field tensions and dramas and the political spectrum certainly factor into this, but um, in terms of a tactical approach and just the mentality, I think the U.S. is going to come into it much the same they came against Wales. You know, they're going to have more of the ball. They're going to have a chance to take the game to the Welsh. I I mean, to the Iranians. I believe that we're probably going to see an unchanged lineup uh, for Greg Berhalter with no one, you know, out with suspension. So uh, in terms of personnel, probably the same that we saw against the English, but I think we're going to see a little bit more of a progressive attacking setup uh, philosophy from the United States, because uh, as you mentioned, we've got to win this. The chance is there. You have to seize it. You have to take it. And I'd like to see them come out and it'll be very, very interesting to see what kind of the United States men's national team we'll see in the first 15 minutes against the Iranians as opposed to the the rather cagey start and, you know, settled start that we saw today against the English.
0: I think, gentlemen, this is probably going to be the biggest technical and tactical game that Greg Berhalter is going to have to game plan against uh, Iran, especially against Carlos Kirosh. You know, you can game plan all you want. You can watch as much film as you want, but I think in all honesty, this is going to be the biggest challenge he's going to have right now. I mean, he's done well. I think he did okay against Wales, even though there were certain things that went against him. I thought he absolutely did excellent today against Southgate and England, but now this is the big one. This is the huge one. This is not a CONCACAF opponent. This is not a Gold Cup opponent. This is not a qualifying opponent in CONCACAF. This is now going against a guy who has done it all, Around the world, and he's going to do it again for Iran. And the only way they're going to have to do it is that Greg's going to really have to outsmart and outfox uh, Kirosh and do it very well, gentlemen. Once again, thank you for uh, joining me tonight, and I hope to have you on again once again on Tuesday at the same time. And we'll talk to you on the next World Cup qualification. Excuse me, next World Cup uh, post game show on Tuesday. Thanks a lot, guys.
1: Thanks, guys. Thank you.
0: All right. That's Robert Hay. That's Christian Miles. This is Daniel Feuerstein. Well, thank you for listening to this special edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show in the 2022 FIFA World Cup group stage matchup number two. Once again, the United States draws with England nil-nil win, and you're in against Iran, and once again, that will be the test for this young American side with Greg Berhalter. As always, thank you very much for joining me tonight. Take care so long. Bye-bye for now. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you and take care.